shalom to all of our snowbird friends. Shalom to Gideon and Asa and Jolie down in Austin, Texas. Shalom to Howard and Elise in West Palm Beach. Shalom to everyone of the Leibovitzim in Tel Aviv. But we are stuck here in the deep north where it has recently snowed. So there may be swearing this week. So that is your obscenity warning. Don't you bite your children? Don't you nibble on your children? So I did, but then they started um, biting you. They started no. There was like a biting outbreak in school. Uh My two-year-old, she bit someone in school, and they told her, "Yeah, we do not bite our friends." And she she goes, "Mommy does." Luke isn't my friend. J. Crew, this is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, wearing, I mean, I took it off, but I was wearing it, a red V-neck sweater bought on credit card points from L.L. Bean Visa. Dad, dadhood, wow. maximum dadhood Ma- achieved. Peak dadhood wow. achieved. congratulations. Thank Living you. Living your best life. <laughs> I can retire now. I'm joined this week by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello, I'm also living my truth. I'm wearing a cashmere sweater that says Juicy on it. And if you must know, I got mine at Bloomingdale's Friends and Family. What, what is Friends and Family? Oh, it's like that? when everything at Bloomingdale's is on sale. Ooh. And Liel. And Liel Leibowitz, Tablet's, uh, what are you, senior writer? <laughs> I'm going to let you finish, co-hosts, but I'm <laughs> rocking the best t-shirt of all time. Of all time. What does it say, Mark? It, it says... Um, Demogorgon. Demogorgon. It says Demogorgon. What, what is this reference from? It's I mean, I know you say it a lot. Obviously from Stranger Things. Oh. Season one or two. Both. That's like as mainstream as you get, I feel like. I think so. Did you watch Stranger Things, Stephanie? No, too scary. I got... Five episodes in, I got till we met the bald girl. Oh, no spoilers. There's a bald girl. There you go. Uh, our Jew of the Week this week is attorney, writer, and non-Orthodox mother of six, Jordana Horn Gordon. I'm glad she's back. She, she is fun. back. And she's going to be in studio this week. And our Gentile of the Week is Reza Aslan, uh, former evangelical, former Muslim, now just famous, best-selling author of books about God, Jesus, life, eternity. He's also... Our guests this week, I will say, are very good looking. I'm excited. They are. We have an attractive. They're not just smart. Look, Rez is on the More phone, important. so we won't get the full like thing. Yeah. but we'll try to imagine it. Rez is. He's got that silvering going in his hair. Are I you hope guys when on I like go, a Rez basis. I met him once. I met him. <laughs> so yes. And you know, yeah, yeah, he's Rez now. I don't know if he goes by Rez. So, um, so what's up? Is there any any news? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Leo. There is. Okay. 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 Saturday morning, it's snowing in New York City. And I take the children to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, mm-hmm. which, you know, one, oh, you classy. one does. Right. Um, and we walk into the elevator and someone asks, well, excuse me, do you, do you know where the Rodin exhibit is? And the elevator is very crowded. So I'm sort of, you know, spacing out, like looking at, at the kids. And then someone else says, I don't, but maybe the British gentleman does. And I think that sounds really curious. Is there a British gentleman in this elevator I should be aware of? And so I look up and everyone's looking at me. (gasps) I was the British gentleman because (laughs) while every other day of the year I dress like a homeless person on a budget, uh, that particular day I wore just my normal, you know, outerwear, which includes hunter uh, rubber, you know, galoshes, (laughs) hunting boots, uh, the barber jacket, Uh, uh, my scarf. Uh, and and a sort of like tweed cap. cap. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you I am. So British what do you do? Do you respond a, it was in a moment of the transformation. Queen's English? I was like, oh, cheerio. <laughs> yeah, tit and all that. I uh, believe it's on the second floor. 
Um, it, it was, it you was were in, in your grouse hunting attire. Moment of absolute <laughs> transcendence. Were your children so proud? They were like, Papa. Yeah. <laughs> Papa. Papa. My time we're, we're, late, we're late for tea with the queen. I thought this was going to end with them being like, ask the big Jew in the corner. <laughs> like, he not was a the Met. British drag. Um, I should have gone like, uh, yeah, you guys should go to the second floor. Like, that was the thickest. <laughs> that is amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. You passed. I passed. Mazel I passed as British. Don't drink coffee. I take tea, my dear. I like my toast on one side. I want to talk about what we undertook for the first time. A little bit of a, yes. a little gift given exchange. Yes. A secret. An unsecret Santa. Santa wits. It's a Hanukkah Harry, as they say. Uh huh. You know, like the, That's like a the secret literally Santa. the poor man's the, the poor, poor man's stand in for Santa. Santa. Right. Substitute. Uh, we decided the other night when we were having our conference call that we would celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, Wait, it starts tonight. We decided, it? That. we decided that, that we each stop there. No, that we would that we give each other gifts. That we would each get a gift for each. It would not be a round robin secret thing. It would be we'd each buy two gifts. And I proceeded to not have time yesterday. And uh, there were two doctor's appointments, um, including one at which I learned I have shrunk. That's my news, by the way. I'm going to interject that news. Oh my, I thought shrunk was like a like a disease named after. Like, no, I, I do not have the I'm, disease known as shrunk. I have the shrunk. I have I Wait. have shrunk. Oh my god. Um, I used to be five seven and three quarters. I mean, I. I was never 5'8". I'm the first to say it, but I was kissing 5'8". I was glancing. I was brushing the cheek of 5'8". And yesterday I got on that. You know that scale where like they lower the thing yeah. on your head and then you get off and you see you see truth. And the truth is I'm barely 5'7 and a half. I mean, I've lost a full quarter inch in the past several years since I was last at the doctor's. Oh, wow. I'm 43 years old and I am shrinking. So to my younger brothers, I will meet you down there soon. I will, I'm going to shrink below you. I'm pretty soon going to, dad, because I'm the tallest Oppenheimer in, in like going out to first cousins, grandparents, parents, like, I, but but not wow. soon. I'm going to This is the title descend. of the novel I want to write one day. The, the tallest, tallest Oppenheimer. The tallest Oppenheimer. Uh, but not for long because I am so all freaking this is to say, shrinking. This is just an excuse to say you didn't buy his presents. So I did not buy your presents. Okay, well, I got. I'm sorry. Let's. Who who wants? I want to start. Okay. 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 So, here, um, Mark, this gift is for you. Oh, Stephanie. Um, it runs on a theme that we've been discussing for the past like year and a half. It's 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 movie. It's microwave popcorn. It's, microwave, it's Paul Newman's buttered 100% profit oh my God. Newman's wanna... own microwave popcorn. So basically, and then I pre-wrapped tiny snacks <laughs> for you to sneak into the movie theater. So while you don't pay for movies, it's like it's red. What are those things called? Uh, what are those things? Sour, sour, sour patches. No, sour, sour, sour straws. No, they're sour the thick straws. The ribbons sour of belts. sourness. They're sour belts in tiny little Ziploc baggies. Okay. Which will, um, and then um, there's Swedish fish in there. And then there's popcorn. And so, Mark, to go with your <laughs> brand oh, new God. popcorn set, may I present you with... <laughs> An AMC movie oh, gift Leo card. Leo got me a movie <laughs> gift card. Now we promised not to spend more than ten dollars. So is this this yeah, is uh, like one tickets twelve. Uh, you went twelve dollars. Well, it's one New York ticket, which is probably seven <laughs> tickets. Wait, Thank you guys. I love you guys. Okay, that's um, the best. So actually, Mark is the only person who gets two presents. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay, Leo, I'm gonna get yours. I stayed within the ten dollar limit, but I wanted to get you something that I think might help you out. <gasps> It's this is amazing. A metro card. This uh, is uh, an object I have I have not held in my hands. It in, allows you to get on the subway in fifteen years, <laughs> which is underground. Metro card. 
Leal, have you seen one of those before? It wasn't a Metro card when I you were last on I saw the Pelham of taking one, two, three. Then those, oh no, those probably had tokens. I hope you use it, you know, well. This Don't use it all in one place. Use, that way. <laughs> use it in good health. So Stephanie, um, to keep up with your with your fashion uh, game, which is very strong. Oh, thank you. I had to, I had to buy the most fashionable uh, Hanukkah uh, themed item that I could. And I found these lovely dreidel pants. <laughs> oh my God, they're dreidel leggings. I've seen which, these on the internet. Which may or may not fit because I believe they're for children. But, you know, Wait, then again. they're dragons? Oh, they're dragons. They're dragons. Oh, these will, I will make these fit. Leo, uh, those won't fit wait, my daughter. These you know, are so small. You know, the only freaking size guys, they had, man. Child's so large. I'm gonna, they're black leggings. Criticize with, me. You may have to turn them into like green, a head wrap. purple um, dreidels. These you could are always amazing. use those as I a think scarf. I could fit into them. There will be photos on the Facebook page. Let's just say. this is amazing. Right. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, it also works as a headscarf. Uh, you guys, this was fun. This was fun. Uh, Mark, guys, thank you presents. so much for all your gifts. Here's yeah. the good news. The good news is the season will keep going because next time we tape, I will have gifts and for you. Guys, I did I did get Mark's wedding gift. So thank you for the two hand towels. <laughs> was it hand towels? It was two hand towels. Mark God. doesn't even know. Well, was, there wasn't a lot left. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I, I use those in good health. I, I owe a lot of gifts. Um, our listener, Jerry Yitzi Sandberg, sent in a joke on the Facebook page that I think we all uh, should hear in this holiday season. A woman goes to the post office to buy stamps for her Hanukkah cards. She says to the clerk, may I have 50 Hanukkah stamps, please? What denomination, says the clerk? The woman says, oy vey, my God, has it come to this? Okay, give me six Orthodox, 12 conservative, and 32 reform. <laughs> Oh, Yitzi Sandberg, you new you know member so of the well. Facebook group. News of the Jews. All right, so some 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 little little quick hits. Uh, one of us, the movie about leaving ultra orthodox communities, is up for an Oscar for best documentary. Wow, Mazel Tov to the people who made that movie. Uh, go listen to the show where we interviewed um, Lonnie Santo to uh, to hear more about that story. Soon by you is back for new episodes. Soon by you. Yeah, that, the crew on that from that show was on our show a few months ago, and they haven't had a new episode since. And this is the wedding episode, so and I'm excited. Amazon Prime is this? This is YouTube. This is YouTube. Got this it. is pre-Amazon Prime. Yeah. Got it. Pre-Prime. Um, Orthodox singer tapes his eyes to avoid looking at women. Orthodox singer-songwriter Yonatan Razel a couple weeks ago was giving a concert in Israel, and he was seen with black tape stuck across his eyes as he was singing and playing at the keyboard, presumably so he would not have to see women dancing. So he, so this was a, a, a concert played to a mixed crowd where there were yes. women dancing. So he knew that he knew what he was getting and into. He wasn't saying like he wasn't saying there are no women coming. He or, was like, fine with the women, but then the women, you know. Oh, they started. They dancing. started dancing. Oh, those those those. those those, those immodest slatterns got up from their chairs and started. Could you believe this? Dancing Some at women, a concert. They started dancing at a concert. So did he? So then he just like those, grabbed tape and taped his eyeballs. Well, I think he has a guy like that has black tape and a hip holster, and he just like he and just did. whipped out. A, it like dispenses in the perfect length, slices it off, puts it on his eyes on one. It's again, very like I'm not thing. mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm going right. to tape my eyes shut. <laughs> Look what you've made me do. It's like what Taylor that's what Taylor Swift was talking about in that song. It's a perfect model for how to deal with these things in Israel. Like you don't want to see people driving on Shabbos, tape your eyes. Yeah. You don't want to hear it, stuff stuff in your ears. <laughs> you like want... you do you. Like it stop telling us to I just had a vision of someone you. driving on Chavez taping their eyes shut. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's definitely gonna work well. Uh, that would only improve the quality of some Israelis <laughs> driving, because let me tell you. If you want to experience Yonatan Rezel for yourself, just stow away after your birthright trip, which you can now take up to the age of thirty-two. 
News of the Jews, this Birthright, Birthright, which used to be for Jews ages 18 to 26. Now it can be 18 to 32. So for those of you ages 26 to 32 who thought you were out of the window for your free trip to Israel, you're not. Instead of Bedouin tent night, we now have colonoscopy night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like pretty soon, like your Bubby will get be eligible for a free. I think. Now, by the way, that would be like a <laughs> Bubby rowdy That's Bubby a... Birthright. <laughs> That's a bus. That's a show. <laughs> I would, I would, yeah, we could do that. Those guys are hooking up left and right. So a friend who was on Birthright with me sent this link, a link to this news story and with the the clip from Lost that says we have to go back. Uh, (laughs) By the way, (laughs) wouldn't it be kind of disturbing because isn't like seriously, I've never obviously been on Birthright, but isn't like the whole point like hooking up with Israeli soldiers. Uh, that's be slightly like, exaggerated. Hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Josh. I'm, I'm 38 years old. Do you want to make us? Like, no, you're my dad's age. Like, that's disgusting. <laughs> that is, I think, slightly exaggerated. Slightly. Like, there, there was some hooking up on my trip, not by me, but there were a couple of, I was a grad student. There were a couple of the undergrads who did, they, they had a thing and it lasted, I think, a couple months after we got back. With each other or with the Israeli soldiers? No, no, with each other. But nobody was hooking up with the tour guide or the Israeli soldiers. That's, really? That's, that's really. They were just guarding us. Guys. Yeah. Speak for yourselves. <gasps> I went on birthright. Slow clap here. I have to say professionally, uh-huh. we, we embedded a bunch of journalists embedded on the trip through tablet. And I did make out with a soldier on my trip. I made it my, I made it my mission. Did journalistically. you really? Yes. And, and right before he said, this is not for the blog. <laughs> <laughs> did you know this, Leo? Excuse me. Uh, it's but my proudest moment. National security concerns require <laughs> that you never write about what is going to go on. Because we went and we were like, Birthright by day, bloggers by night. We'd like sit outside our <laughs> cabins and just like furiously blog about what had happened. It was Man, truly I joined, insane. I joined Tablet too late. This you was did. right before yeah. I got to Tablet. I also don't think you would have qualified then before they increased yeah, the age. Yeah, no, I you definitely would. You do now. I, the, the new deal is that, that you pay for some of your expenses on your LL Bean credit card points that you've <laughs> your accumulated LL Bean for your credit children. card. Basically, you can keep going birthright until you start shrinking. And That's at right. that point, once you start getting shorter, you're out, you're of, out of the game. You must be this tall. <clears throat> to ride the bus. Tall enough to ride. Uh, Holocaust survivor beauty pageant. We have written before about the... Um, uh, wait, this... How is this, this different? a different pageant. How is this different from the last story that we did about the Holocaust survivor beauty pageant? It's possible it's the same pageant in a different year. But this, okay. is, this one is sponsored by the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, which I don't think the last one was. Oh, why do they keep putting Holocaust survivors on the catwalk? Seven elderly Holocaust survivors have taken to the catwalk in the Israeli desert city of Arad to raise money for a charity operating in the country. Four of the seven survivors on Tuesday night were from the former Soviet Union, including Ukrainian-born Elizabeth Rodich, who's seamstress mother taught her how to make clothes. And then it goes on and on about how our mother taught them to make clothing from fate, frayed fabric, how it got her excited about fashion. And now here she is walking the catwalk for the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, which helps elderly Israelis pay for food, medicine, and fuel. Uh, if they want to do this and they're comfortable doing this, more power to them. Like Agreed. You if go, only, girl. If only there was a song about <laughs> Holocaust beauty pageants that we could play right now. Think of the horror people do unto each other Think of man's search for meaning as he dies Think of everything you've lost and can't recover But no why Your Holocaust survivor, beauty pageant That was from Jim Nabel, the Jubadors song, Holocaust, what was it called? Holocaust Beauty Pageant. Holocaust Survivor Beauty Pie. 
Holocaust Survivor Beauty Page and Cutie Pie? Yeah. That was I from believe, <laughs> I believe that Manic was. Pixie Holocaust Survivor Holocaust, Beauty Pie. I just find out what it's called. Beauty Pie. That'd be really funny if that was the new Hollywood standard. She's manic and pixie-ish, but sometimes she wakes up screaming in the middle of the night remembering Treblinka. Yeah, Holocaust Survivor, Beauty Pageant, Cutie Pie. A little more navel coming up in this show. Next up in News of the Jews, it's been a great week. Roy Moore's wife defended against the charge that they were anti-Semitic. I guess he had said something about how George Soros didn't know God and was an agent of the devil and people interpreted this as anti-Semitism. Why? I can't imagine. And she got up to say... Fake news would tell you that we don't care for Jews. I tell you all this because I've seen it all, so I just want to set the record straight while they're here. (laughs) The media? While the media is here? One of our attorneys is a Jew. (laughs) We have very close friends that are Jewish and rabbis, and we also fellowship with them. Now, I don't know why they said we're not friends with the Jews. Well, just the other day, that lovely Shoshana Cohen went and saw my Roy in his studio for about an hour with the door locked. Now, she's 12, but she's very curious about politics. Roy loves the Jews. They're like, some of my best attorneys are Jewish. Some newsletter subscribers, this week we welcome the law firm, a tiny but elite law firm, of Dr. Kendra Livingston, a Jewess, despite the the name. Despite the Kendra. Despite and the, the Livingston. Kendra and the Livingston. But not the doctor. But not the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benjamin Wolf and Zoe Plotsky. Zoe Plotsky. She is from the family after whom the word plots was named. Now, this is actually a great moment for me to say I've never understood what plots means. There are always kind of, there were like bad local ads where someone would say, the prices were so cheap, I plotsed. And I never knew what that meant. The plots What does it mean to plots? (laughs) I feel like it's like to be overwhelmed with emotion. Is that what it is? But it's not like, I'm not verklempt. Like there's there's specifics. I mean, we probably should get an expert here to discuss this. On a zero to verklempt scale. (laughs) On a zero to verklempt. A plot is like a seven. (laughs) Anyway, Zoe. Plotting is like, there's also frustration involved, I feel like, with plots. I'm plotting. It's not like I'm I'm cavelling. You're not schwitzing yet, but you're getting there. (laughs) So according to my online dictionary, the first one to pop, it's uh, it's North American. (laughs) Apparently it's informal. And it means to collapse or be beside oneself with frustration, annoyance or strong emotion. The example they give, this is this is wonderful, like crypto Jewish slur. The 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 uh, example they give is, quote, lots of directors plots while making (gasps) their films. (laughs) What is that even? That's not even a helpful sentence. Lots right. of directors eat That's while right. making their films. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, and Zoe, if we're talking about today, we can talk about other things the directors are doing. Zoe Plotsky. Is it 2018 yet? Is it please? 2018 yet? Yeah, because it's going to be so much better. So much better. Zoe Plotsky is from the family that originally, pl- her ancestors were the first. They were beside the themselves first, the first so much that their family name became a verb, which was to plots. The newsletter is not the regular tablet newsletter. It is not. To get this newsletter, 
Sign up on the bottom of one of our show pages at tabletmag.com slash unorthodox. Has none of the grace or the depth or the urgency. <clears throat> none of it. Or no. send an email. Or editorial vision. <laughs> <laughs> or send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Be forewarned, we may make fun of your name. While you are at it, not while, but while, please rate us on iTunes and share us on Facebook. Join our Facebook group, in fact. The best thing you can do to help keep us going is to help generate new listeners. Generate them spontaneously. Grow them in your garden or just you know, sign your friends up for stuff. Steal their phones and sign us up for, you know, just go on their podcast app uh, and you will keep us strong and thriving. There will be uh, there'll be strength going into 2018. This week, Jordana Horn Gordon joins us once again. She's a lawyer, writer, mother of six, and self-declared karaoke superstar. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. And I'm we so have happy you here in person, which is really exciting for us. It's much more exciting for me. Thank you for actually. Me. And so obviously, <laughs> the first question is: go to karaoke song. I try to spice it up. Sometimes I try to go for the unexpected. Um, I try to deviate from the Meatloaf. standard. Right, exactly. Journey. The st- journey, <laughs> right, right. You know me so well; it's it's weird. Um, but I would say generally, I do a Pat Benatar nice. default. Interesting, yeah. Stephanie. Interesting. I don't do karaoke. Oh. Not in a snobby way. Just, 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 it's just not. Mark, I know you do karaoke. I do do karaoke. I mean, I've done it. I'm always eager to do it. I've that, never. You seem like someone who would really I've take to it. I've done it only three or four times in my life. I, I love it. I did a strong performance at the Hallahan karaoke party four or five years ago, and I don't remember what the song was. I just, I. You were a was that I'm good. sorry, Liel, but, but you have an. You want us to say Liel, yes. right? Well, no, I, I have, I have two, two kind of, you know, nodes. And, uh, see you again by Miley Cyrus. Yeah, is Absolutely, the kind of, you know, the piece de resistance. <laughs> then I figured out, and this will surprise exactly n- no one, um, like really kind of borderline racist, uh, xenophobic country songs, like anything by Toby Keith. I kind of do really well. <laughs> you got we'll pull it a boot in your ass. It's the American oh way. God. You know, like it's great. I could really rock that. I want to back up for a second and say that before Jordana was a famous writer on parenting for Fowler, before even you were a Jerusalem Post woman in New York or in New Jersey, I guess. Um, she was somebody who my friend John Pitt said, you've got to, the, one of the most interesting people I knew in college was Jordana Horn. You've got to get to know her. She's amazing. She's amazing. And over the years, we've probably emailed thousands of times. And Correct. I've never met her Correct. before today. And here you are. The other interesting thing about her is I'm that rarity for being a conservative Jew, non-Orthodox Jew with four kids. And, and she used to be that. And then she had two more. I think there's no one in the conservative movement with as many kids as you have. And have you ever, do you know... <laughs> I actually think, I mean, I don't want to downgrade the law degree. They might be out there, but they might have plummeted into insanity, which is right. totally <laughs> possible. But I'm totally serious. Like, I think that in a movement that has probably like the average family size is 1.3 kids per couple, there is no conservative Jewish fa- woman with as many children. Like, I would love for our listeners to say, not that that honorific means anything, but because birth rate is, I it mean, means, listen, with all due respect, any idiot could get a freaking law degree. Six so children, true. like yeah. I have two, and I am barely, barely, barely functioning this morning. Stephanie's okay. cat six? drives her over Yeah, the my cat. <laughs> no, but so six kids. Eight nights. Eight nights of Hanukkah. <laughs> 
It nightmare. starts. It's, we're recording this on Tuesday. Hanukkah starts tonight. What is Guy it like? And, right. I have to say, you're in Short Hills. Like you're in. A, you're not in a place. You're where. Right. Right. You're in a place where I imagine presents are important. I was say, what so, does that mean for someone who doesn't know Jewish geography? To in New me, Jersey? it's part of the like tri-state area where people are. There are wealthy kids around, and right, it is it is a place that is known since the days of Goodbye Columbus and Philip Roth for being an over the top, you know, right. I think in uh, Goodbye Columbus, sporting goods fell from the trees in the yard in endless bounty, um, and so yes, it is very much an over the top place. In fact, my six year old daughter made sure that she cornered me in the kitchen um, yesterday and said. You know, I will not name her friend who said this, but my friend tells me that in her house they celebrate 12 nights of Hanukkah. <laughs> that is insane. And I said, well, that is a miracle. Whoa. Um, <laughs> that's impressive. So I, I said, well, here, you know, we're, we're just garden variety eight. Um, and generally, I would say that we err on the side of, um, for lack of a better term, stocking stuffer. Um, kinds of <laughs> nights, for example. I've never couple, heard of such a thing. Well, I would say a couple of years ago, um, I think my my low that that got me, you know, the head shake from my husband was when I um, distri- <laughs> distributed empty Pez dispensers um, and tried to market and the them next as, night as the toys Pez were coming? in and of themselves. <laughs> no, no, no. The Pez never came. So um, that was a low point. So now I try to I try to keep it Comparatively low key, um, there is. But there's a strategy, right? I mean, or is there none? Like, is there day one the big gift, and then by day six? Like my no, family, I, I, you can't start with the big gift. That's uh-huh. that, that's setting yourself <laughs> up with <laughs> that's setting yourself up for just heart. Like, what, what is this? Um, so we start. You start small, and then you there's a gradual crescendo, <laughs> and then the resolution. <laughs> um, so toward the final night, we have just you like know the life. family. Correct. Um, the book exchange, you know, everyone's got a uh, monetary cap. You know, somebody's getting a board book. It's. I love that no, they're giving each other gifts as well. I, I, th- I think that's important. Um, oh, interesting. That it's, yes, it's not actually just about you. We that's don't sort, do that. That's sort of ooh, the theme ooh. of our it's parenting fails. Well, yeah, I, I got to run home now. Be like, yo, kids. <laughs> so what? Wait. We did. I want to say we did a gift exchange here today, um, but only two of us brought gifts. Yeah, I <laughs> forgot <laughs> to bring gifts. How do you? So what's the protocol there? How do you? You take each of them shopping for? Well, so we have the conversation of. I, I don't necessarily take each of them shopping. Because I also find, as I'm sure you know, that taking a child into a store um, is mm, just unleashing yeah. um, horror upon yourself. So I say, what do you think? Um, what do you think she would like? What are things? And they say, oh, well, you know, she's seen this commercial and she seemed to really get excited about this. Sometimes she's they commercial. spin it like she, she really like likes Audi. this. Right, exactly. <laughs> there was a Lexus with a bow on the top yeah, of it right. and she seemed really excited by that. Stephanie's wearing a very beautiful so. cashmere juicy sweater. So, you it's know, back, if, baby. if they need any that ideas. Nice. Right, exactly. Right. I mean, you know, we're pre-literate, so it could say <laughs> really anything. <laughs> anything. So, um, but... Keeping it keeping it low key is my my biggest advice. You know, they have uh, there are things that they they get excited, especially when they're young. They get excited about such dumb things right. that um, you can really milk that for all it's worth. <laughs> like they have those, um, you know, those sequin things where you rub it one way, oh, yeah. and it's one color, and you rub it. So mm. I found a thing where like you can get one of those that wraps around your wrist, so you can just sit there all day 
and do it's like this. the next rubbing and spinner. back and forth. Is it a slap bracelet? Anna's no. really into the no, slappy. No, the, but it does. She's have a Superman bracelet. There's that's a slappy. wallet component. Oh wow. To it, I mean, not that you have anything to put in the wallet, but but I'm just saying, you know, you yeah. could sit there all day just rubbing your I wrist. Like that. And by the way, slap bracelets were banned from like my elementary school. So, it's so just because they were I so think annoying. It was like a, an, a suburban legend that someone somewhere had broken their wrist with a slap bracelet. Come on. I was. I mean, look. These were like the late '90s. These were early. Sorry. These were the early '90s. Things were crazy. <laughs> I do put a little thought in in it, and I make sort of mental bookmarks. For example, lately, um, lately the little girls have taken to. There's one closet in one girl's room that they've decided is their clubhouse. They put up a sign that says "Club House," which I thought was adorable. Um, and so. I was in Costco, which is, of course, where we shop for food because, <laughs> because we go through that in a week. But um, And they had, uh, uh, I wouldn't call them necessarily Christmas lights. They were... They were celebratory they were holiday celebratory lights. Celebratory holiday festive for the festival lights. of lights. They could put in their clubhouse, um, clubhouse these lights. And I thought, well, that would be a fun... Fantastic. Kick off to the Festival two, of Lights. Two birds with one stone. <laughs> 100%. You, All recent, good. you recently said to me that much as you love your children uh, and your life, sometimes you think, what am I doing as this super educated woman in 2017 when the world could use me outside of Costco? Is that how you put it? I don't want to put words in your mouth. But right. How so do you, how so do you... I, think, I think what I said, there, there are definitely moments where I do feel, you know, uh, uh, I don't. I don't know. I haven't had the. Uh, there was something that went viral. That was um, a situation with. Uh, we don't have a dog, thank God. Um, but a dog and a, a poop and a Roomba, and they were like, "Oh, what has become of my life?" But that feeling, that feeling of you know, I'm really extremely educated, and um, you know, there there was a time even just a few years ago when I was um, following. And reporting on Hillary and BB, you know, so so I do have ideas that go so beyond. So you're saying that you have um, great training for like total toddler like irrational behavior. A hundred percent, yes, yes, and 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 a peace process that mm-hmm. moves nowhere. That's yes, right. <laughs> um, but having I, the same conversation right. every night. I told you, hundred percent, hundred percent. Intractability is mm-hmm. uh, something of a specialty, but I, but I think that. Yes, there's an incongruity because, and certainly in my town where, um, you know, you're the value of the college sticker that will Mm. go on the back of your car is extremely high. Um, This idea of, you know, I joked around with my son saying like, well, you know, I can't get too fussed about where you're going to go to college because I mean, you know, like... I worked my ass off and like, look at me. <laughs> I just got knocked up a lot. <laughs> right, and, he's, and, and he's like, so you're positioning yourself as a sort of cautionary tale. And I'm, <laughs> and I said, well, not necessarily, but, but I mean, in other words, right. The idea of, well, why aren't you taking this, this education and using it um, in a quote unquote, and the implication, whether spoken or unspoken is in a better way than, um, than, than raising being with humans. your children, yeah. or right. that being with your children doesn't require that, or is you're not using it in that sense, right? Correct. Isn't there sort of a condescension right. there? A hundred percent. Do you get this from other people, or is this something you sometimes put it's on yourself? Definitely internal. Um, definitely internal. Um, just because there is sort of a, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that there was a kind of chafing at the bit um, of just the frustration of you know what you have to do to be taken seriously. Um, 
as a mind, as a person beyond being a carpool driver, gift facilitator, you know, all these things. But I mean, so on the one hand, people tell me that this period of time um, will go fast and, you know, savor every moment it, it, it doesn't seem particularly fast from from, <laughs> from over here um and not only that but i seem to have artificially prolonged it having you know a 14 year old on one end and a two-year-old on the other but i also think that there is and, and it's a something that i'm formulating in my sleep deprived state is this idea that you know it's it seems like everywhere in the work world whether you're in politics or you're in a kitchen or what have you it seems like people really don't know how to be um good and kind people um and i i really can't get over the whole idea that all these people once uh, Mario Batali the the news broke I guess to the world at large yesterday but apparently all these people on for example my Facebook feed ugh everybody knew that <laughs> like, <laughs> like okay well everybody knew that and just took it as this is how it is so so I feel like at at the parenting level you're really in the you're in the trenches of working avidly to try to create people who take responsibility for their actions, who respect other people. Um, it's really, and and it's a really, really hard job. And I'm not comparing it to, you know, people who build highways, people who you should code. Yeah, why? I mean, uh, coding is from uh, monkeys. It's the easiest <laughs> thing in the world. Yeah, even Leal can literally code. train animals. Try to code eight job. presents for six kids. That's right. <laughs> right, code that. Um, but, I, but I think that there, I mean, clearly there's a, a lot of work to be done and even more so in a point where, you know, sadly my my four youngest children will have no recollection of a, um, the first president of their recollection will be, um, the, the de- An the interesting person. Yeah. yeah. So, so especially then when that, you know, when. So what do you want to get back out there and do? I mean, you're still writing. You write for Feller. I am still writing. And, I'm, you know, it's not that long ago you were on the Today Show talking about one of the pieces on the Today Show with Mr. Lauer. With Mr. Lauer. Mr. Lauer talking about a, a good interview, an interview he didn't fall asleep for or. I hope transgress well, any I actually boundaries told or, him before when we sat down, we're sitting on the couch and, um, you know, the, the, there was no impropriety whatsoever, but we were sitting on the couch and he was just looking over his notes and I was sitting there, you know, actually newly pregnant and not um, trying not to throw up and become some sort of meme. <laughs> um, and so I sat there and I just patted his arm and I said, you know, I know that you must be nervous about going up in front of millions of people. I just want you to know, just be relaxed and normal. You're going to be great. And he looked at me like, and then we went on the air. And then afterwards he was like, that was actually really funny. And I, I said, thank you for validating me, Matt You were talking, Lauer. thank you, Matt Lauer. Yes, you were talking about no you. rescue parenting, letting no your kids. No rescue letting parenting. Your kids Let them flounder. Flounder. But so what would you get back out there? And if, let's say your kids were all in college tomorrow. Wow. Would you go back to journalism for the a place like the Jerusalem Post? Would you, are you going to write the parenting book that we all know you have in you? <laughs> I, I think th- there's definitely a parenting book that needs to be extracted um, in some way, shape or form. But I, but I feel so I feel such profound. I, I'm, I take great comfort in knowing that I'm not alone. Such profound frustration with the way things are. Capital T, capital W. I mean, in this country, you know, there are times when I thought like, like. 
could I run for something? You know, would, would that be like, like, where would I, where would I be best? Would it be best to run for the board of ed and deal with, you know, micro level frustrations on a daily basis? Would it be best to, but I think actually that writing seems to be the place where you have the most individual agency. Um, comparatively, you're, you're less beholden to anyone except trying to figure out things for yourself and discussing ideas with people, which has always been something that appeals to me. But so. hold on, I, I, I really kind of want to get back to it because this is, this is a feeling that I have, you know, very deeply. And, and I know conversations such as these could get, you know, uh, like deeply gendered. But I actually do think that because everything is so completely broken, I have a very strong sense, I mean, personally, emotionally, that just, I don't want to call it retreating because it, you know, signifies some sort of defeat, but just being, concentrating on being a parent uh, is the most, you know, urgent thing right now. And this is something that I deeply want to do. And and in fact, hope I will be able to do at some point. And and I do mean this as in the, I'm not going to play any of these stupid fucking games anymore because none of these industries that used to mean anything like journalism or politics do anymore. And clearly they're all run by, you know, morons and lechers. And so I just want to be with my children and I just want to make, you know, a better, a, a better world through that difficult task of, you know, raising kind humans. Like, what's wrong I, I with think, that? Why are we holding that? As I think a, it, well, I think it's fabulous to hear um, a man say that. Um, you're so brave, Leo. It is I'm, so I'm, brave. I'm stunning well, I, and brave. Can I, can I just say, I, Caitlin, Jenna. I have similar intuitions, as you know. At the same I'm time, class mom for my kids, by the way. I know, and I insist on being called class mom. At the same time, I also believe. I'm curious to hear what you think about this. I mean, I think it's children are more or less a genetic roll of the dice. Like, I think the effect we have on them is pretty limited and contingent, and we don't. I mean, I hope that all six of your kids, and all four of mine, and all two of yours, and the future Butnick Cohens, uh, grow up to be, you know. Sodics, but 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 two of them could you know someone could be an axe murderer and someone could be a pervert. Which like, one is it, Mark? I'm just <laughs> like right. I mean, we we there is no formula. We don't know. There are wonderful people who are wonderful parents whose kids turn out poorly. Whatever, however that right can be taken. Well, I also think it, it's uh, first of all it's so interesting because I mean obviously by by sheer numbers I've been thrown into this parenting um, discussion role and yet. You know, whenever I'm addressed as a parenting expert, I say, well, I really think you should get back to me in like 20 years to see how this all shakes down. Like, I mean, I think I'm doing an okay job now, but really, what do I know? I mean, they're there. But but what I do know is... Parenting expert uh, Esther (laughs) Trump said yesterday. You know, um, I think you're right. I think that, you know, um, my sister likes to say nature or nurture, it's your fault. So, So, right. So, I, but I think that... I, I do think that you do have an impact. I think it's an impact of um, sort of of steering a tremendous battleship. You know, you may not appreciate the difference that a few inches to the left or right actually makes, and they may be going in their course or sinking um, due to things that are completely beyond anyone's control, including their own. I mean, there's a role of brain chemistry Absolutely. and physicality and all these things that... Right. The the genetic dice are thrown where they are. Um, Which I find to be a liberating thought. 
I mean, I really do. I, I find like, you know, I, it's like um, I once was talking to someone who was a who was a Calvinist, and he said, you know, I don't know how people who aren't who don't believe in predestination get up in the morning because they think they can affect their salvation every day. They said, I believe it was all written in the stars before I ever got here, so I try to be the best person I can. But ultimately, I know it that matter. it doesn't matter. That you know, I'm called to try, but I'm not. I'm not. The answer is not. That seems my like a little fault. bit of a cop out, though. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, but I, I get what he was <laughs> but saying. A liberating I mean, cop out. I, I can't help but love my kids and be attentive to them and and it gives me tremendous joy to be the best parent I can be but I'm liberated by the thought that it's not all on me it's a lot of it's genetic and brain chemistry and at a certain point it's on them and you know right right um but I think also um I I also feel very I feel very happy obviously in the aggregate with um my choices but also I think to have so many kids um there are certain traits that I've started noticing are um are kind of many kid traits um, that I see and that I like a kind of ability to roll with the punches a little bit more than you might be able to otherwise out of necessity, even if you're, even if your um, predisposition is toward anxiety, you just sort of realize, right. you know, there's six of you. Correct. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, and how much, how much time are you going to get on the stage? Like, right, and, well, and also that helps me a little bit as a parent, because one of the frustrations of being a parent of so many is that every night I go to bed knowing that, I did not and could not give all the attention to each one of these kids that they wanted from me. Um, that's that's an insurmountable mountain. It's it's just not possible. And so you can either be frustrated by that or try to do as much as you can within the context of that. But at the same token, there's an appreciation of that from these kids, um, the recognition that I'm not... Uh, I made it pretty clear, and this was, I guess, part of my overarching philosophy is that um, when my son started doing Little League, I said, okay, well, you know, let me know two of your games or three that are particularly important to you, and I'll make sure to be at those. But I'm not, I mean, there, yeah. most of the parents are there at every single game. Um, hey, look, I'm not buying the season ticket. I'm I'm gonna come to like the right, playoffs. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's just not possible, and it's just not fair. It's not fair that you know you choose to be in Little League, and therefore, you know, X number of my evenings are spoken for, and therefore the person who needs help with their social studies or the person who needs to um you know be taken to occupational therapy or whatever like that that person gets the short end of the stick because of your choice it's more it's just a perpetual balancing act so amen i have a question about the dog in the roomba mm. was the roomba like spreading the poop around yes. was that the situation yes okay like into floorboards and crevices oh. i mean it, it, it was really this was a viral video mom fail like look how my life it, has it, it was become. right it was it was something like this is this is the absolute low so what present look what do you want for hanukkah oh I mean, world peace. Gin. This is this is really it. I <laughs> mean, I, I came into the city. I was, you know, sitting alone, not having to manipulate a stroller. I read articles uninterrupted. I actually, so the the thing about podcasts is that I I can very rarely listen because someone is coming over screaming at at, at any point in time about you know anything from a an insignificant thing too. Like, I think my eyeball is going to fall yeah. out. Um, so, I mean, 
really, really, I, I guarded, you know, some, someone said to me, like, couldn't you call in? And I said, well, I could, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't. Yeah. Um, it's really, I, I think that this sort of, uh, I fiercely guarded this ability to extract um, and, you know, one daughter came down with strep. And I said, best of luck. You have to take her to the pediatrician. Mm-hmm. You have to ask for the in-office test and the one that you they send out. You said this to your husband? I did. He took the and day I, off? I said, farewell. Yes. yes. Well, well, he can work from home also. Oh, so I hopefully see. there's going to be a lot of, um, and, and I said, you can go nuts with the TV. Yeah. Just, it, yeah. in, you know, she's sick. Just Daniel Tiger all, all the way. Dinosaur train. Well, they're, they're more into, I mean, they, they found some show that is just uh Almost repugnant in every way. Which um, one? It's called Shimmer and Shine. Oh, and I, don't, I don't know this one. It's important it Jewish values. Um, but anyway, so there's going to be a lot of Shimmer and Shine today. I think. I wish you a lot of Shimmer and Shine for all of fifty-seven, seventy-eight. Mm-hmm. Thank you, we and you all too. Have more Shimmer and Shine in our lives. If people were to Agreed. go read one article of yours that you've written in your, or to start with one, or to start with one, what are you most proud of? What's your? Well, I would say to start with one. Um, and I'm not sure if this is necessarily the one of which I'm most proud, but I would say that I wrote a piece for Kfeller about, and Stephanie made me think about it, um, before he and I were married, um, he had just gotten divorced and he had gotten himself a dog. And so, and this dog was a rescue dog and it was, uh, I don't know, I think it was I used to, people would say, oh, what kind of dog is that? Because it had these tiger-like stripes on it. And it was obviously part pit. So I would say to people like, oh, um, he's part Yorkie and part Corgi. (laughs) (laughs) And people would just walk around like, shimmer and shine. Right, shimmer and shine. (laughs) shine. So, so, but I wrote a piece um, called Yard Site for a Dog that was about how I felt that, you know, so here... Um, Did you make him give up the dog? No, no, absolutely not. The dog. So, so what happened was he got this dog. He and I met. um, I had these two boys at the time who were young. They were um, when we got married. They were in kindergarten and first grade. So he had never had children before, and how this dog really prepared him for the idea. Not only you know the obvious points of the feces, but um, beyond that, the idea of having to construct your life around caring for for someone else. Um, and the idea that it really sort of sort of worked your heart muscles in a way that they hadn't been worked previously. Um, and it was actually very sad because um, two months before we were um, going to get married, the dog was left with a dog sitter and he got hit by a car oh and, and he died. Oh. Um, and so, and it was, and that was just, uh, I mean, my boys have been very excited about like they were getting, they were getting like a stepdad and a dog. I think you, you have know. to get your kids a dog. I think oh, that's, so that's the only now. thing you can do for Hanukkah. Uh, not for Hanukkah. Jordana, will you uh, will you stick around and do a Mazel Tov with us at the end of the show? Jordana, you yes. stay here as long as you want. I will. That's right. <laughs> I Anytime, I that. Anytime you need to short hills, you just tell them you're going to go be a guest on our podcast. We'll back you up. Right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Jordana Horn Gordon, everyone. Thanks. Mother knows best. Listen to your mother. It's a scary world out there. 
Mother knows best One way or another Something will go wrong I swear Ruffians, thugs Poison ivy, quicksand Cannibals and snakes The plague no. Yes Also large bugs Men with pointy teeth And stop no more You'll just upset me Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y On Tuesday, May 21st Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, a uh, little bit of Jim Nabel for you in this holiday season. We just gave you a clip of his old classic Holocaust survivor, cutie pie beauty pageant. I always get that title wrong, but he's written a new holiday classic. Jim Nabel, the Jubador, it's Nabel with a K, is back with Shalom for the Holidays. Choirs of yearning have been burned by their priests And the late Charles Manson was finally released But it's not too late for world peace Shalom for the holiday The Christmas trees sing Shalom for the holidays It's a peace Offering to the scumbags and the sidekicks, to the rich and the poor, to the taxis they'll levy to the bottomless floor. In the middle of the night, there's a knock on your door. It's Santa Claus dressed as Judge Roy Moore. Shalom for the holidays. All the hill kids sing. Shalom for the holidays It's a peace offering I'll give you my bread that I baked yesterday morn It came out of the oven like a baby gets born Its pieces are pulled and the halves are just torn it's a day or two old, but it's still warm. Shalom for the holidays. I know what to bring. Shalom for the holidays. It's a
That was the Jubador, Jim Nabel, Nabel with a K, with his musical partner in crime, Joshua Joy Kamensky, on piano and musical direction with Shalom for the Holidays. It's up at his website, jimnabel.com. Hey, J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I'll be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Some terrific letters this week. Dear Unorthodox, someone on the latest podcast said, no one loves Christmas more than the Jews. I believe it I was said that. Ms. Butnick. Stand by it. Or words to that effect. Jesus Christ, speak for yourself. <laughs> A month listening to Christmas music in public places does not generate any holiday cheer within this Jew. Keith Danish. <laughs> what a name. Danish. I get it. I get it. What a name. But to um, me, it's like so low stakes. Like I have to say, I understand what you're saying. I mean, there is a way in which, in which you know, if Lenny Bruce were talking about it, Christmas is Jewish. <laughs> I'm sorry, I right? can't get it. But <laughs> about to listen to Christmas music, this not generate any cheer with this Jew, signed Rudolf Redner's <laughs> Jingle Bells Santa Claus Cohen. I sort of know what you were saying, Stephanie, but I never really like it because it was always so commercialized and t- I. Easter, I have a little more luck because it's bunnies what? and That's, eggs. Okay, but Easter to me is so much more intense. Christmas has taken we've the Christ is gone, guys, right. in America. It's like not as gone Christmas as you think. has been won. Hi, Stephanie, Mark, and Liel. I've been listening to the podcast for a while per my dad's suggestion. Your conversation with Kristen Meinzer inspired me to write in. She asked you about how Jewish kids manage not to spoil Santa for everyone else. Well, I was the only Jew in my very small town. I definitely knew that Santa was not real. And whatever Mark says, some of my classmates were quite intelligent, but still believed. I can tell you a couple reasons I didn't spoil it for them. One, as Stephanie said, I was definitely told not to by my parents. Two, I didn't want my classmates to hate me. When asked, and I was frequently, I just told my classmates that he didn't come to my house because we were Jewish. I love the idea they just make Santa into an anti-Semite, basically. Also, regarding the Jap, Jappy conversation. Mark mentioned that young people didn't know what those words even mean. I'm 24, and I definitely know what it means. All the Jewish girls I've talked to about it are still pretty sensitive to it. Thanks for the entertainment and the education, Hannah 
Gottlieb. I have to say, I love all like the feedback you're getting from people being like, kids can believe in Santa even if they're smart. Like people really were triggered by that. <laughs> they by you really being triggered. like, what do you mean? Five-year-olds don't don't know that Santa's not real. All the five-year-olds I knew did. <laughs> I just want to also take this opportunity, first of all, to say, okay, my, my bad, fine. There are a lot of really intelligent kids out there who believe in the fat man coming down millions of chimneys in eight hours. Uh, fine, fine. I didn't know them, but they're out there. The second is that Jap Jappy conversation um, sent me, so a couple of our face, two of our Facebook group members, it turns out, wrote college or master's theses on the question of the Jewish American yeah, princess did. in culture. One of them sent me her thesis and I was reading it. And a bunch of the footnotes were to these books that came out in the early 80s. One of them was called the Jap Handbook, which is like the preppy handbook, but it was for Japs. I just got my used copy from Amazon used books <laughs> yesterday and I haven't read it yet, but it's in my backpack out there. Another bunch of footnotes were to this book called um, the... Uh, the death of a Jewish American princess in quotes, right? Which is about this murder case in Scottsdale, Arizona in 1981, where a man named Steve Steinberg murdered his wife and got off by pleading temporary insanity because his wife was such a nagging Jap that she drove him insane. He stabbed her 26 times and was acquitted. I feel like this is like the next, like making was, a murderer. I was about to say, no, this is Netflix. next like Adam Sandler comedy. This oh, book. God. I'm sorry. I had to kill her because she this was This book nag. by a Scottsdale Gentile lawyer named Shirley Frondorf, who just got obsessed with the case and, and what had been done, the way this woman had been murdered twice over because then she was murdered in the courtroom. This book is trashy and horrible and utterly compelling. It's the best read. <laughs> That's the best and it is absolutely horrifying. And in the early 80s, so, and one of the things I'm learning about this Jap conversation, we will come back to this. We're gonna do a special episode or a live event or something. I'm obsessed. It's because, one of the things I'm learning is that it really peaked in the in the late 70s and early 80s. And it, it was very vicious. And there was a lot of Jap graffiti at universities. And it was really... And the other thing was, and this is my little bit of... This is my Dvar Torah for the day. A lot of the confusion in our discussion of it is that today, the Jap is an educated woman. Today, the Jap is like, oh, what was your sorority at Penn or Brandeis or whatever? And then you went and became a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. But she's as educated as her husband. In the 70s, the stereotype was very much, she got married. It was it was the girl who maybe she did a couple years of college, got her MRS, and then got married and just spent on the husband's credit card. She went from daddy's credit cards to the husband's. And it was a much more vile stereotype. I have to say, my mother has requested to be on the Jap episode to share her opinion, which is the opposite of mine. And also my sister wants to be on. They're like, we need to be on the Jap episode because we feel very strongly about this. I think we should have, I think, I like, what's guys. the plural man for Butniks? <laughs> but Butnikim. And but two of them are at Kenna Butnik right now. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, letter writers, thank you. You keep us on our toes. We hope to do the same for you. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Our Gentile of the Week is Reza Aslan, a writer, producer, and scholar of religion. His latest book is God, A Human History, which came out last week. I have in my notes, which came out last night. I don't know what I was thinking about, but um, yeah. So welcome. Well, they're, both, they're both statements are wrong. It came out like actually a month ago. <laughs> oh, so did I say last week? I meant to, I meant to write last month. It's out. The it's point out. is it's, it's out. out. It's, when is it's right. out? Get God, it. A Human History is out. So what is A God, human, a human history, history of God? 
Well, the story is about how um, human beings, uh, really from the very moment in which the very idea of God arose in our evolution, have tried to make sense of God by humanizing God, by implanting in God human emotions, human personalities, uh, even a human body, um, all in an attempt to sort of make sense of this, you know, sort of inexpressible, utterly unhuman thing. And then, obviously, there's some kind of, you know, serious negative consequences to that kind of cognitive impulse. What are the negative consequences? Well, you know, I mean, if you're conceiving God as basically a divine reflection of yourself, then what you're doing is projecting upon God uh, all of your own ideas and values and biases and bigotries, even your own politics. And so that, more than anything else, explains why we have, you know, so many religious conflicts in the world, why religion is used often to uh, fuel wars and devastation, or to excuse rank bigotries, or occasionally even child molestation and pedophilia. <laughs> when? So we hear. Shocking. <laughs> I know. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. But basically, this is what we're doing, is that, you know, we're implanting in God everything that we love and we hate, and then pretending that that's what God loves and God hates, and then, you know, creating this superhuman being with human emotions, human attributes, but without any human limitations. Um, and that, you know, again, for obvious reasons, is very dangerous. So you've been through a, a journey of your own, right? I mean, you were, your parents are, are Muslim, yes? And uh, Well, they were Muslim, yes. They were Muslim. And you, had, in your teenage years, became an evangelical Christian. And then yeah. at some point you moved out of that. What? How do you define yourself religiously now? I'm a Muslim. Uh, I practice um, the Sufi tradition within Islam, um, and Sufism is actually uh, a huge part of kind of why I wanted to write this book. I mean, in many ways, this is the most personal book I've ever written. Most of the books that I write are about religion, religious history, religious figures, uh, the rise of religious movements, or the intersection of religion and politics, or religion and violence. This is the first book that I've ever written that's about faith, about belief, where it comes from, how it arose, why it exists, um, what it does to people. Um, and so, in a way, I wanted this book to also reflect my own faith journey, because as you can imagine, you know, I'm asked this question all the time, which is, how, you know, how can it be that you study the religions of the world uh, and yet still um, call yourself a person of faith, let alone uh, a Muslim? And so, um, in many ways, the book is not just a, a history of human spirituality. Uh, it's also, in some ways, a, a parallel uh, of my own kind of spiritual journey from, as you say, a, a kind of cultural Muslim to an evangelical Christian to a, a Sufi. And do you find that the tradition you're currently in, uh, in that Sufi Islam has has aspects of it that defeat that tendency toward anthropomorphism? Like, do, is there something about Sufism that you think helps you stay away from that tendency to, to think of God in our image? It, well, it's in many ways the, the entire point of Sufism, but really it's the entire point of all mystical movements within religions. Um, you know, at the end of the book, I make this full-throated argument for uh, pantheism, the idea that God is all and all is God. That is the foundation, of course, of, of Sufi beliefs. The Sufi is not interested in learning about God. The Sufi is interested in uniting with God. But that's a, a sentiment that exists 
in Judaism, of course, it exists in Christianity and all the Eastern religions. The, the idea of this, of God not as a divine personality, but as the underlying force of the universe, as the universe itself, uh, is, as I talk about in the book, an idea that goes back long before there were any such thing as religions. In fact, uh, there's ample evidence to show that this is a belief that goes back to before there was even such a thing as Homo sapiens. So we're people of the, the Old Testament, OT. Um, the OT, And that, yeah. that God, if, he, that, that, the, the personified version of that God gets sort of a bad rap. He's vengeful. He's, spite, he's spiteful. Does he, does he deserve that reputation? Or do, have we just like humanized him too much? Well, okay. Well, I don't mean to blow your minds, but there are two gods in the Old Testament, right? There are two completely separate and different gods. There's the God of Abraham, whose name is El or Elohim. El is a Canaanite deity, uh, one that we know a lot about, one of the most famous, most well-known, most well-studied gods in religious history. Um, and by the way, it makes sense that Abraham's God was a Canaanite God because Abraham spent his entire life in the land of Canaan. But El is a completely different God than Moses' God. Moses' God is Yahweh, uh, a God that's kind of a new God, a God that, you know, we basically knew nothing about um, until he suddenly shows up uh, in that dramatic scene in, in the Sinai uh, desert. Yahweh is, as far as we know, a, a Midianite God. Um, it's kind of a one of the clans the larger clans in Egypt, basically, which again makes sense since Moses was Egyptian. Um, so when you look at the two gods in the Hebrew scriptures, what you see is one of them is, a, is really a mild fatherly deity. That's El, you know, the, the verses that you see sometimes where you, where you see um, God as this kind of loving old man who sits on a throne and, and, uh, you know, uh, talks about uh, forgiveness and, and brotherly love. That's L. Uh, but when you get into the Yahweh stuff, that's, that's when you start hearing about God as a man of war. He is a blood-soaked God. His, his robes are dipped in the blood. Yeah, the good stuff. I, I love how you, yeah. you're basically describing the plot of the Godfather here. I was just here. thinking this is like a Marvel <laughs> series. The old guy, right. you know, goes away, and then the new one comes back from the war and says, I brought the heads of the five families here. It's amazing. That's right. The story of monotheism, what we call monotheism, is the story of the very slow merging of those two gods in the Hebrew Bible. Abraham's God, El, Moses' God, Yahweh, slowly become one singular God that occasionally, believe it or not, the Bible actually refers to as Yahweh, El. I think we should go back to Assyrian demonology. I think we should go back to like Pazuzu and Lamashtu <laughs> and just like awesome demons yeah. who like you could tell what their job was. Like if you were in a Ghostbusters movie, you're that you're our kind of deity. We should tell you that yeah. Liel is wearing a shirt with a demigorgon on it. That is yeah. whatever yeah. that is. Did your <laughs> That's right. Reza, did your time in evangelical Christianity give you any insights, do you think, into what's happening with evangelicalism right now, where some of my friends who are evangelical simply can't believe that there are fellow evangelical Christians who um, who are using theology to to say we have to vote for Roy Moore, we have to vote for Donald Trump? You know, God God uses yeah. God raises up men for the right time in the right place. I mean, is it, do you do you watch this saying I I know them? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, there's a lot of things that I can say to sort of explain um, the mentality of uh, evangelical Christians, particularly white evangelical Christians. And I do think we need to make a distinction between the two, and I'll explain why in a moment here. But the, the core sort of idea about evangelical Christianity is the sense of siege, right? That you are engaged in a cosmic battle between good and evil. All of your actions on earth have a cosmic significance to them. In fact, not even your actions that you are basically a pawn that is being moved around a chessboard by God fighting against demonic forces. Everyone is against you. Everyone. Um, this is why, you know, white evangelicals, who basically own everything and run the government, are routinely cited as the group that says that they are the most uh, persecuted people in the world. I mean, that's what Mike Pence said. Right, he's a guy. Well, they have to make all those wedding argue- cakes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's arguably like the second most powerful man in the world, and he's complaining about how people like him are, uh, you know, constantly being persecuted and under siege. And that mentality starts to infect everything. And so, when confronted with, you know, facts and reality, when told, "Hey, you are supporting a pedophile," the evangelical mind tends to immediately. Uh, attack that I am being I'm being assaulted here. My very sense of identity and who I am is under assault. And more importantly, because I am on the side of good, the side of God, then anyone who is not on my side is not just wrong, but anti-God, therefore evil. And so that mentality is what drives this, you know, sense of. Uh, you know, ridiculous righteousness that leads people to not just excuse Roy Moore's pedophilia and child molestation, but to see it as a reason to rally behind him. And again, one last thing, we're talking about white evangelicals here, right? I mean, I know that we're all trying to rack our brains, trying to figure out how it is that 81%, a record 81% of white evangelicals uh, voted for a racist, sexist, lying, lecherous, narcissistic sociopath whose entire worldview makes a mockery of Christianity. But it's white evangelicals who voted for him. 67% of evangelicals of color, evangelicals who believe the exact same thing, but who just have a different skin tone, voted for Hillary Clinton. So let's not pretend that race doesn't play a huge role in this. Right. Uh, Reza, you are obviously a man of of many faiths, but you've never been a Jew, and the three of us are Jews. And I was wondering, (laughs) do you have any questions about Judaism that this internationally recognized panel of experts could answer for you? Well, just like, what's with the drinking of the Christian baby's blood? Like, what's that all about? <laughs> You're know? not supposed to ask amazing. about that. Shh. Oh, I'm not supposed to. Don't tell anyone. Reza, listen, um, when, you, when you run the banks in Hollywood, you really need some heavy, heavy stuff to keep you going. It's a lot of Matt work. Matt isn't going to cut it. Yeah. Actually, I just wanted to say, my, uh, my, I have, two, I have uh, three sons, two six-year-olds and one three-year-old, and one of my sons, Cyrus, has declared himself to be a Jew. Is it because he uh, wants so, eight nights of presents? <laughs> no, I, you know, we went to high holy days and he was like, this is way better than church. When you're ready, uh, <laughs> when you're ready, you sent him to talk to us. Like we would love to have him as a guest, as a Gentile of the week. We will answer his questions about Judaism. Okay. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Reza Aslan, thank you so much for being here and happy Hanukkah to you and yours. Happy Hanukkah. Thank, thank you. And Merry thank you. Christmas. Oh my, you said it. Sorry, happy holidays. Happy holidays. That's right. <laughs> Bye, Reza. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Oh, sinner, do not stray from the straight and narrow way. For the Lord is surely watching what you do. If you approach the devil's den, turn round, don't enter in. Lest the hand of the Almighty fall on you. He'll fuck you up. He'll fuck you up. Yes, God will fuck you up. If you dare to disobey his stern command. He'll fuck you up. up. Don't you know he'll fuck you up. So you better do some praying while you can. So you know Unorthodox prides itself on basically being like the epicenter of the Jewish geography game. And we have proven ourselves worthy of that designation because I don't know if you guys remember, but last week, Kristen Meinzer told us a story about her friend Tammy Cohen. And she was the she was the Jewish girl in, in school, and, and it was the root of her question: How did Jews not? How did Jewish kids not ruin the Santa whole Santa thing for their their Christian classmates? And so, you know, I think I said at the time, "Where is Tammy Cohen? Is she listening to this podcast? We have to find her." We found her. It took a day. First of all, someone wrote e- emailed to Kristen and said, "You know, I, I I used to work with someone named Tammy Cohen, and we go to the same school in Minneapolis. I'm going to ask if this is her or something like that." And then basically, someone tweeted at Tammy Cohen saying, "They mentioned a Tammy Cohen in this episode of Unorthodox. Is it you?" And and Tammy writes in and says, "LOL. Yep, that totally is me. Hey, at Kristen Meinzer, how are you?" And then Kristen Meinzer writes back, oh, my gosh, at Tammy Cohen. It's a miracle. Wasn't sure you would even remember me, old friend. And Tammy Cohen says, of course, I remember you. I mean, sixth grade was a long time ago, but still, smiley face. Well, so good and to- they were in Gift and a Talented program together, yeah. as I recall. And so, so now they're back in touch. And yeah, we found gosh. Tammy Cohen. Now, if only someone could find Nimrod Weiselfish. I think we're me. pretty close. You know, I think we're, I think we're close. Mazel Tovs. Stephanie, have you a Mazel Tov this first night of Hanukkah? I have two. The first is for Carrie Brody, a, a guest on the show. She's the founder of Emma's Torch, and she was featured in the New York Times um, just about the graduation program. This is the Culinary Institute for Refugees. Yeah, she was featured in the New York Times about um, talking about the graduation ceremony that had just that had just happened. So uh, snaps for her. Carrie and, Brody. And a big golden mazel tov to Rachel Brosnahan, who stars in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And she just got nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Television Series, Musical or Comedy. Yeah. And that show, I mean, love that show. Yeah. She and Catherine Hahn both nominated for Best Portrayal of a Jew by a Gentile. <laughs> like, that should be a category. That should be a category. And the Oscar for Best Portrayal of a Jew <laughs> by should, a Gentile. That's what we're going to do Oscar season. We'll that, do our unorthodox Oscars. That, that, that would be the only category. The Oscars. Liel. Uh, my mazel tov is to Dr. Yod Kadari from Ben Gurion University. Uh, so Dr. Kadari developed a an online platform, uh, a multi. It's called a MOOC, a multi something learning something yeah. course um, that teaches Kabbalah. And and guess where the students for this online Kabbalah course run out of Ben Gurion University in Israel come from? Any? The Upper West Side, Iran, Tunisia. Syria, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia. This this may bring peace to the Middle East. Everyone will get online together and study Kabbalah and listen to Madonna and yeah, I was gonna say. There, will be, there will be peace and, and love. There will be peace That's and love. That's better than our like SoundCloud stats of who's listening to us. <laughs> we do not have all those countries represented. So maybe they could like p- make yeah, us part of the, sh- the We should the cross program. promote. We need an ad with them. Jordana Horn-Gordon. I would say a hearty mazel tov to the people behind Fingerlings 
Um, are you aware of what fingerlings are? No, and if it's not, either be incredibly sweet or incredibly dirty. <laughs> dirty. Right? Exactly. Well, I'm interested. Yeah. Right. So they are the Hanukkah apparent. Um, they are this year's Hatchimal. Um, if you are aware of what a Hatchimal is. You are speaking, <laughs> I'm speaking ancient Acadian to me. Totally. What the heck are so you talking Hatchimal about? So the Hatchimal was last year's um, toy and like total reason for existing for children, um, which I w- would add my children did not receive, um, which is an egg. And they egg still that, exist. They still exist. And and yet again, fingerlings, yet again, they will not be receiving these. They're, um, <laughs> they're little monkey kind of creatures that cling to your fingers those are called um, children th- correct <laughs> but apparently children want children um disturbingly enough so they Roy, Roy, and now Roy they're Moore sold out everywhere well, the and there are actually there's such a hit that there are counterfeit fingerlings maybe they're tingerlings <laughs> I, I don't know what they are but um so mazel tov because apparently you won hanukkah fingerlings wow. i want some uh, my Mazda Dove is to... That's what you can get us, Mark. Get us finger links, I'll get, please. <laughs> you, I'm going to do better than be that. I'll never be able to do it. Do better than that. My Mazda Dove is to our listener, uh, one of the growing uh, cadre of, of high school listeners. Oh, nice. <laughs> our Started influence. Young. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Julia Hizami. She wrote to us and said... We had an assignment in in our class in high school that asked us to convey current politics in some creative way. And uh, my partners and I, she was part of a group of a group project of four. She said, we chose to write a song about our political situation and events to the tune of dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. If you like it, I hope you will share it with your audience. Julia Hizami, we loved it. We are going to share it with our audience. If people stay tuned for after the credits, uh, the outro will be you and your friends doing a 2017 version, um, a a Trump and Putin inflected version of Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel. The song we never knew we always needed. And I think you should get, she should get extra credit for this. Yeah. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine. On the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Follow Stephanie on Instagram at sputnik. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin with help from Julia Frakes. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson. Our music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Yaakov Komisar. If you think your rabbi should offer rabbinic supervision, write to us. We recorded Argo Studios, which was not invited to the White House Hanukkah party, and we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. He's trying to build a wall, but his wife's an immigrant. Oh, Donald, 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 we love your racist views. And when I watch CNN, I know that it's fake news. Oh, Putin, 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 we know you're Trump's best friend. He's going off to Russia, our money he will spend. Oh, football, 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 it's Trump's favorite sport. But when the KKK comes, you show them your support. Oh, Kim Jong-un. Trump wants to destroy you. And when he says that nuke, there's nothing we can do. Oh, women, 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 you need to be on watch. Make sure you have a taser in case he grabs you by the... Oh.